Pastor Xavier Reese and the simple truths of God's judgment fulfilled. God has said to be the judge of the world, you know that. Psalm 50 verse 6 tells us. God judged the sin of Adam and Eve in Genesis 3.21. God judged the sin of the world through Noah. God judged the sin of the world in the person of Jesus Christ. First John says that he became the propitiation for our sins and not ours alone but for the whole world. The sins of the world have been judged. God is the judge. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. The simple truth of Numbers 32.23 warns, You may be sure that your sin will find you out. Add to that Hebrews 9.27, As it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. But when it comes to God's righteous judgment for sin, in today's vernacular, you might say, you can run, but you can't hide. And as we've neared the end of a powerful series in the book of Jeremiah, Pastor Xavier takes us to the end of the Bible to witness the end of the long-term fulfillment of the prophesied judgment of Babylon. Let's listen. Our passage here in Jeremiah, in chapter 51, verse 59 to 64, describes for us the mission of Sariah. Let me read it for us. The word which Jeremiah the prophet commanded Sariah, the son of Neriah, the son of Messiah, which he went with Zedekiah, the king of Judah, to Babylon in the fourth year of his reign. And Sariah was the quartermaster. And so Jeremiah wrote in the book all the evil that would have come upon Babylon, all these words which were written against Babylon. And Jeremiah said to Sariah, when you arrive in Babylon and see it and read all these words, then you shall say, O Lord, you have spoken against this place to cut it off, so that none shall remain in it, neither man nor beast, but it shall be desolate forever. Now, it shall be, when you have finished reading the book, that you shall tie a stone up to it and throw it out into the Euphrates River. And then you shall say, Thus Babylon shall sink and not rise from this catastrophe that I will bring upon her, and they shall be weary thus far were the words of Jeremiah. We've seen in Jeremiah short-term, long-term. In our last study, we saw the fulfillment that was coming in terms of the captivity. And we said that there was some passage there for the long-term. We looked at some of those things. And what I want to do in this last message is kind of tie from the beginning into the long-term. And we're going to look at Genesis, different things. But here in, in this last proclamation is mission of Sarai. You have the time of the mission here in verse 59. And these words are as much inspired and as a message of God as those that have been given to Jeremiah. This is God's word to Jeremiah that he's communicating to him. So this is still prophecy. Also notice secondly, the occasion was when Zedekiah, the king of Babylon, went to Babylon. Now we're not given any reason in our text why he went or anything else. But as we've gone through the book, and we made mention of it in chapter 27, verse 2 through 11, that possibly Zedekiah was going to clear his name from the accusation that he was depending on Egypt trying to rebel against Babylon, okay? And most likely this is the reason why he went. Because Nebuchadnezzar had set him on the throne. Remember, he took Jehoiachin and then set him on the throne, okay? And he made him the promise that he would not rebel. He was rebelling, and he went to clear his name. Now notice also there in verse 59 that the exact reign is given to us. The year. Zedekiah reigned from 597 to 
586 B.C., and this is the fourth year, meaning 594 to 593 B.C. But notice lastly here in 59 that the identity of Sariah is also given. He was a quartermaster, the staff officer, the one responsible to go ahead and to look for the accommodations of the king when he got to Babylon. This was his responsibility. Sariah also happened to be the brother of Baruch. Remember Baruch was a secretary of Jeremiah? In chapter 32, 12 and 45, 1, we find that. And so you see these interesting personalities that God uses and he's used in, in the connections between this 40-year ministry of the prophet. And here at the end, God sets this last message, this last end of the book as an ultimate fulfillment of the long term. Notice in verse 16, 62, you have the nature of the mission. First in verse 60, Jeremiah wrote in the book, All the evil that would come upon Babylon. So, of course, he went back and grabbed the pieces that we find, like Jeremiah 25, 12, but also chapter 51 and 52. These are all specific for Babylon, how God was going to judge Babylon. In fact, in chapter 51, verse 7 and 8, it says Babylon was a golden cup in the Lord's hand that made all the earth drunk, and the nations drank her wine, therefore the nations are deranged. Babylon has suddenly fallen and been destroyed. Wail for her, take balm for her pain. Perhaps she may be healed. God desired to forgive individuals and nations. They did not turn. The greatest evidence is Nineveh, the Assyrians. Didn't they all repent on a maybe? And Noah was all ticked off? If God doesn't give a nation opportunity... Or an individual, only some, then he would be a, a person who favored persons. He would be unjust. He would be unholy. His desire is for individuals and nations to repent collectively. And God gives ample opportunity, though you and I may not always know exactly how, where, God is just. Even the Babylon here, as the text tells us. Now notice verse 61, Jeremiah said to Zariah, When you arrive at Babylon, see that you read all the words. So important. All of us are, are, are kind of smorgasbord Christians sometimes. Right? I take what I like, and I leave what I don't like. I can always find the things that I want to give to somebody, but the things I need, they're not really in there. That's all of us. That's our sin nature. He says, you declare every word. You know why? Because the words of God are necessary to be heard, and they're not the nicest all the time. We don't want to hear them. Because the word of God points my sin out. The word of God shows me what I need to do in this one word, repent. To humble myself. It always takes me that. And so the reading of the prophecy was not an easy matter. In fact, one as courageous as Jeremiah, he's got to go to Babylon. Where people have already been, two captivities taken. He's got to go there and he's got to declare this message before all of them. Man. The words could be interpreted as arrogant, rebellious and that could be it for Sarai. But he had to do it, right? He had to walk by faith. He had to walk in obedience. And if you're going to walk in obedience and faith, it's scary. Because you got to trust God. Notice verse 62. Jeremiah then makes the mission even more difficult, telling Sarai to confirm the message before all who heard it. In other words, saying, Then you shall say, after the reading, O Lord, you have spoken against this place to cut it off. Amen! In front of your enemies. And so that none shall remain in it. Neither man nor beast. But it shall be desolate. If that wouldn't be bad enough. He says. 
forever. What are you talking about? Babylon, head of gold. We're on top. God knows the end from the beginning. Because you're on top today, because you've got it together, it doesn't mean anything. Now, if you're on top and you're in the position because God has put you there, you remain dependent on Him, that's fine. But if you've gotten up there, you've got to strive to stay up there. You've got to fight to stay up there. And if you're trusting in yourself being a Christian, God will humble you. He'll give you enough rope and time. How much time you have? <laughs> God is eternity. Now, notice thirdly in verse 63 and 64. The illustration and application of the mission is given to us. So we're not left to our own interpretation, really. In, 50, in 63, Jeremiah gave to Sariah a final instruction to illustrate his message. Now it shall be, when you have finished reading this book, you shall tie a stone to it and throw it out into the Euphrates. Can you imagine how vivid? What the heck's he doing? Secondly, look at verse 64. Jeremiah then makes the application to the message. Then you shall say, Thus Babylon shall sink and not rise from the catastrophe that I will bring upon her, and they shall be worried. This was a sign message so as to not misunderstand it, being imprinted in the minds of the hearer, even as much as the sign messages of Jeremiah with the wooden yokes going down to the potter's house, the sash. You remember all those messages. Vivid. This was to give hope also to the captives at the same time to assure them of God's faithfulness, Yahweh's faithfulness. I'm going to restore you. I'm going to judge Babylon. As you have gone into Babylon to captivity, I'm going to judge Babylon. It would give hope to the captives. God is so faithful. Notice that at the same time Jeremiah was prophesying of Judah's surrender to Babylon. He's proclaiming the judgment of Babylon has already happened. You can imagine why some people say, well, how the Bible contradicts this and that and all that. And, but God just says things. He doesn't put timetables on it. He lets time run and it comes out. And so Jeremiah ends his words. Thus far the words of Jeremiah. The application of Babylon was short term, but here he ends up with long term, right? That's what we've seen before. So yes, it was the captivity coming. Yes, it was the judgment of Babylon. But then it's also forever. That, that, that hasn't happened. And so in view of the long-term fulfillment, we want to look to the book of Revelation. Because this ties the long-term. So if you have a Bible, now again turn to Revelation. Chapter 17, verse 1 through 6. So this is a little different sermon than I'm usually doing, but it, uh, it ties together. Okay, because we've, we've looked at the book and now we want to tie this long-term aspect of it. Uh, and of course, this is back in the 70th week of Daniel in Daniel 9.27. Now, we stated a couple of things in our last study concerning the judgment of Babylon. The 17th chapter of Revelation describes her as a religious Babylon and her judgment. And we're going to focus there. She's the apostate church which will promote the Antichrist through the false prophet to be the head of the ten-nation confederacy. At the beginning of the seven years, she will be judged and destroyed by God through the hand of the Antichrist in the middle of the seven years, which is at the end of those three and a half. So the first three and a half, he's promoted, but he destroys the religious system by the Antichrist. She promotes him, but he destroys her and sets up himself as a guru in the middle. That goes with the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet that Jesus spoke about in Matthew twenty four fifteen. Okay? She is the epitome of the Laodicean church that we said, lukewarm. She thinks she's rich, wealthy, in need of nothing, while she is wretched, miserable, 
poor and naked. This is her. She'll be centered in Rome as we're going to see. And then, of course, chapter 18, which we're not going to focus on, but just so you, you understand where that falls in, uh, it describes the commercial and political Babylon. And um, this will entail in the last three and a half years, and at the end of the last three and a half years, God destroys commercial and political Babylon altogether. So you have the religious, you have the commercial political Babylon. They're tied together. Okay. Now, long-term wise, what God is in opposition is the religious. The religious is just the backbone to the commercial. But the religious. And so we focus here in chapter 17, verse 1 through 6. And let me read our text. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, I will show you that judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornications, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beach which was full of names of blasphemous, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And in her forehead a name was written, Mystery Babylon, the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, and with the blood of the Mars of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. The religious woman Babylon here is presented to us from three perspectives, which is the long-term fulfillment ultimately at the end. First, the judgment of the woman is found in verse 1 and 2. Secondly, you have the identity of the woman in verse 3 and 4. And then the character of the woman in 5 and 6. First of all, in verse 1, the one to reveal the judgment was one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls. And as you go through the book of Revelation, you have the, the bowl judgments and you have the seals that are broken up and everything else. Okay, This is the bowl judgment. The angel is the one revealing this. Angels are God's messengers. You know that. They're there to serve you, to serve me, to do the bidding of God. Angels went down to Sodom and Gomorrah in, in Genesis 19. To get Lot out. Uh, an angel told uh, Abraham, do not kill your son in Genesis 22. The angels uh, made known to Daniel, the angel Gabriel, the seventh week of Daniel in Daniel chapter 9. Angels delivered Peter from prison in Acts 12.7. Angels, their ministry spirits of the earth's salvation. Angels are God's soldiers of vengeance too. As you know in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3.24, when he kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden... Who did he put to guard the garden? A cherub, lest Adam and Eve would go back in and partake of the tree and eat eternally in sin. That guard was a protection for redemption in the future. The cherub. You know angels went down to Sodom and Gomorrah and brought judgment, right? You're aware of the 185,000 Assyrian truth we've talked about in Jeremiah in 2 Kings 19. Angels are bad dudes. Notice secondly here, the message was to come and to see the judgment of the harlot. God is said to be the judge of the world. You know that. Psalm 50 verse 6 tells us. God judged the sin of Adam and Eve in Genesis 3.21. He killed a little animal. Innocent. Covered their nakedness. He judged their sin. God judged the sin of Cain in Genesis 4.11. He cast them out from God because he didn't repent. From his presence. Put a mark on them. 
God judged the sin of the world through Noah. In Genesis 6, 7, and 8. The entire world died. Except for Noah and his sons. And their wives and his wife. God judged the sin of the world in the person of Jesus Christ. 1 John 2, 2 says that he became the propitiation for our sins. And not ours alone, but for the whole world. The sins of the world have been judged. God is the judge. And so angels, here we see. Part of God's program, even here in the book of Revelation, they play a very key role. In verse 2, notice thoroughly here, the description of the woman is that of a harlot. The woman has been unfaithful to God and His Word. This is what it's talking about. Well, he's talking symbolically here. Okay? He's talking about being treacherous to His Word. She is a representative of religion who has corrupted the true worship of God. Oneness with God and oneness with God and man. She has committed spiritual fornication. That's what it's talking about here. She has intoxicated men and held them captive to her seductions. She has had a long history. In fact, from the beginning of time with the kings of the earth. Now, we've looked at Jeremiah. We've looked at Babylon. And we made some mentions at the beginning. But let me take you back a little bit. Back to Genesis 9.22. And 10.6, just jot them down. The opposition to God there began with Nimrod, the son of Cush, who was the grandson of Ham, who was the son of Noah, who mocked Noah when he laid there drunk. Okay? And so Nimrod, he's the one that was responsible for Babel, the Tower of Babel. He led people away from God and erected this Tower of Babel in attempts to establish a religious system and to have access to God and make a name for themselves, Genesis 10, 8 and 9 says. And then in 11, 2 through 4 says. So his purpose was to have men come through him to come to God. The system. Through the zodiac, through different things. There's the beginnings of Babel. Babylon. Nineveh is one of the cities of Shinar or Babylon in Genesis. Now, the wife of Nimrod, her name was Samaramis, after his death, she continued the system along with her son Tammuz. Now, in Jeremiah, when we went through the chapter 44, verse 15 through 19, Samaramis is found there, but under a different name. You remember her? The Queen of Heaven. The Queen of Heaven. Who's called the Queen of Heaven today? Mary in the Catholic Church. We're going to see the connection all the way through. But it starts at Babel with Nimrod. Semiramis' wife continued the system. In fact, at the same time Jeremiah was in Jerusalem, remember Ezekiel's in Babylon, right? And Ezekiel in his writing in Ezekiel chapter 8, verse 8 through 14, he speaks about Tammuz, the son of Semiramis, how women were worshipping him. So you have the worship of Semiramis under the title Queen of Heaven in Jerusalem. And you have the worship of Tammuz over in Babylon that is the son of Semiramis. And, and supposedly Tammuz was born through a spark, of, a, ray, a divine spark of the sun or a ray of light. Miraculously conceived. And then he died by some wild boars killed and miraculously was risen from the dead 40 days afterwards. 
By the way, that's where the Catholic Church gets their, their Lent, 40 days. Not the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay? And so you have this whole system of the woman and child worship that's found throughout the world. Under different names. So Mary and baby Jesus, the Madonna and child worship, did not begin after Jesus was raised from the dead. It is way back from Babylon in Genesis. It's found all over the world under different names, but it's the same statue. It's the same figure. The system dispersed throughout the earth in various forms. And you can find those similarities throughout the earth today. Two things you should always remember about God's judgment. One, your sin will find you out. Two, it's appointed unto man to die once and then the judgment. No one gets away with anything. Not Christian, not non-Christian. We must understand that. When we understand that, we stop playing games. With God and with each other. The judgment of the woman, notice Mystery Babylon, is nothing but the culmination of Nimrod's system of Babylon. Here we have it at the end. It began in Genesis. Here you have the culmination. In Babylon we have the beginning of religion. In Rome we have the culmination of religion. In the two, we have a complete cycle ready for judgment by God. The great harlot stands in contrast to what? The true bride of Christ. The bride of Christ is a chaste virgin, ready for a wedding. Now the judgment is for the lack of what? Faithfulness. She is unfaithful in contrast to the faithful bride of Christ. She is an imposter in comparison to the authentic church of Christ. She is unholy, different from the holy bride of Christ. She is self-glorifying, unlike the bride who glories in Christ. Throughout the scripture, religion is always portrayed as a woman. Always. The woman introduced leaven into the meal in the kingdom parables in Matthew 13, 33. False doctrine. It's a woman that's presented. Religion. The parable of the mustard seed reveals infiltration of evil people into the church to lodge within. The tree grew and birds lodged on its branches. Birds are evil. The church gets so big, it becomes a place for evil people. Religion is the apex of that. Not that it doesn't happen within Christian churches. It can happen. But in religion it happens all the time. The woman Jezebel's heir and sexual immorality was taught in the church of Thyatira, Revelation 2.20 says. You see, the judgment of the woman is certain. Short term, long term. It's going to happen. Pastor Xavier Reese beginning to tie the ends together of the ultimate fate of Babylon. Judgment first prophesied in the book of Jeremiah, yet the ultimate fulfillment to come described for us in the book of Revelation. Now, we'll be hearing the balance of this study next time, but if your schedule permits you to tune in, 
You can pick up a copy of this message, and the title you want to ask for is simply Mystery Babylon Revealed. It's available, as always, on CD for only $4. Once again, the title to ask for is Mystery Babylon Revealed, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. World Domination Deception, apostasy, a one-world church, and the ten-nation confederacy. If these terms sound like elements of the tribulation and Armageddon, you're right. But you may be surprised to learn that they're not the result of the Antichrist, but rather the church. Hope you'll tell a friend and join Pastor Xavier Reese for the compelling conclusion of our series in Jeremiah next time. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 